nor is it implied. Um, in fact, there's no evidence anywhere in Scripture of anyone beside the apostles ever uh, imparting the Holy Spirit by the laying on of the apostles' hands. And, uh, and the fact that this is, is the case, that only the apostles are, are shown as, as doing this and having the ability to do this, this within itself ought to be sufficient. But it is true that Jesus, uh, that Ananias said to Saul, Jesus has sent me that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. So his coming to Paul was in some way necessary uh, for him to receive the Holy Spirit. How was it? Now first let's remember that we know that the apostles, the, the original apostles of Jesus, um, received, uh, uh, they, they received the, the Spirit uh, from, from heaven. You remember in Acts chapter 2 when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all together in one place and there appeared, there came a rush, a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. You remember all that? And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire and it sat upon each of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This was in fulfillment of what Jesus said just prior to that in chapter 1. You remain in Jerusalem until you're uh, endued with power upon high. And he said, you shall receive the power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the apostles, uh, and, and, and we know that this is, has reference to Jesus empowering them because later on, as we'll see later this morning, when, when Peter goes to the household of Cornelius and, uh, and as he begins to speak, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. He's, and then he goes back to Jerusalem and reports on what happened there. He said, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as it did on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the words of the Lord, how that I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So what occurred there and what occurred at, um, at Pentecost, uh, it has reference to this baptism of the Holy Spirit which Jesus had uh, promised. And so uh, they, they, they received theirs from, from, uh, uh, from above and uh, without any human agency. Also, the apostles did not receive the Holy Spirit until after they were what? Immersed. Until after they were baptized uh, at the hands of John the Baptist. In this class, two or three times over the years that I've taught it, we've, I've taken time to carefully uh, lay out for you the, the fact that, that the scriptures teach that the apostles were all baptized, not just them, but some of the others too, the 120 that were all there at, uh, uh, on Jerusalem awaiting Pentecost. They, had all been, they were disciples of John who baptized for the remission of sin and uh, all that was necessary for them to fit into the kingdom, so to speak, their own Pentecost, was to believe on Christ, having already been... We've gone over that before. So the apostles had been baptized. So it was essential for Ananias to come to Saul, essential for him to come to Saul, uh, in order for him to receive the Holy Spirit, because it was a... Pointed unto Ananias, Ananias was the one who was to what? 
baptized Paul. And Paul could not, Saul could, I keep calling him Saul, Paul is still Saul. Saul could not receive the Holy Spirit until after he had become a member of the kingdom. And so he was baptized and then of course um, he uh, received the, the, the uh, Holy Spirit. So his inspiration was awaiting his immersion and depended upon the visit of Ananias uh, for, that, for that very reason. Now let's look at chapter 9 and we'll take up with verse 23. We want to look this morning at, at um, those years in between his conversion and his work in Damascus and, uh, and, and the first missionary journey. We want to see kind of what transpired. By the way, that, that in, let, let's, go over, let's do a little work on chronology here. Remember we said in the beginning that, that Saul likely was born around the same time that the Lord was born. We don't know exactly, but, but somewhere close to that. So, uh, and then it, it's, uh, most people agree that his conversion occurred at about 36 or 37 A.D. And again, you've, I, I consulted some 12 different chronologies. And they all differed somewhat. And some of them differed quite a bit. But most of them were quite close, within two or three years of each other. So I just kind of chose one. And uh, so I don't claim that it's the absolute most accurate one. I just kind of pulled one out of the hat. And, uh, and, and that's the one I'm, I'm, I'm using, okay? But uh, most uh, uh, commonly agree that Saul's conversion occurred at about 36 or 37 A.D. Then we learn from the book of Galatians that he was in Damascus and Arabia. You remember he was converted at, uh, when he went on into Damascus. Ananias came to him. He was baptized. He remained there in Damascus for a while, preaching after his conversion, preaching that, that, uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then he goes away into Arabia. And we wouldn't know that except for the book of Galatians. That's the reason why in that, uh, uh, when I put all those chapters together, chapters 9, uh, 22, and 26 out of Acts, I added some verses from Galatians as well to help fill in the, the gap, so to speak. But Galat we learned from Galatians that he went away into Arabia, and then he came back to Damascus, as we're going to see here this morning. So, if his conversion was in 36 or 37 A.D., then uh, three years after that he, he goes down to Jerusalem for his first trip to Jerusalem following his conversion. And so that would have been in what? 39 or, or 40 A.D. And then he uh, leaves uh, Jerusalem as we're going to see this morning why that happened. And then he goes over to Tarsus, uh, Cilicia and Syria, and to Tarsus, his home city. And he stays there for a while until uh, uh, Barnabas comes and gets him and brings him back to Antioch to work with him. And, uh, and uh, then uh, in about 44 uh, A.D., uh, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but there's a famine and a contribution is collected, and Paul and Barnabas take that down to Jerusalem. We know the date of that because it occurred 
during the reign of Claudius Caesar and in about 44 AD. And then he goes back to Antioch and the first missionary journey occurred in, from about 45 until 49 AD. So those are kind of give you an idea. Oh, by the way, if you, we still have some of the chronology sheets up here if you'd like one. Uh, we'll, we'll get it to you. Let us know and we'll, we'll get it to you. Okay, now, so let's begin with verse 23 of, of uh, Acts chapter 9. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Now, what you have to insert here is, it's more than just a few days as we might think about it. We might think of many days as two or three weeks or two or three months. But we're talking about three years here. Acts doesn't, we don't know that from, from Luke's account here, but from Galatians we know that three years has occurred, uh, he's, he's converted, then he goes away into Arabia, and most of that three years likely was spent in Arabia. Then he comes back to Damascus, and this is what we're reading here. After he'd been to Arabia, comes back to Damascus, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates uh, day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how the, on the road that he had seen the Lord and spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. We'll talk a little bit about them in a minute. But they were seeking to kill him, and when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off uh, uh, to Tarsus. So in Damascus, after he had been to Arabia and had come back to Damascus, uh, the Hellenists there, or rather some there, plotted to kill him. Now the Jews could not have been alone in this plotting to kill him because they were Jews dwelling in this foreign country and they would hardly have ventured on, on something like this without the approval and perhaps even the assistance of the local authorities. And uh, here again, Saul or Paul fills in the blanks for us because in his second Corinthian letter, the, the letter we know as second Corinthians, chapter 11 and verse 32, Paul tells us, in Damascus, the governor or uh, the governor under Aretas, the king kept watch, kept watch over the city with a garrison desiring to comprehend us. And so they had not only the approval and support of the local authorities, but they had their aid as well in uh, trying to uh, uh, capture Saul so that they could do him harm. And this same passage uh, in 2 Corinthians also uh, is the one that tells us that they let him down through a window. You remember a while ago in chapter 9, we, it merely states that he was 
he was let down through an opening in the wall. Well, Paul tells us more precisely that that opening was a window. And you remember back when we started this study, I showed you some pictures of, uh, of, of how that uh, uh, houses were built on the perimeter walls and some of the rooms would actually jut out a little bit past the, the wall and you could easily envision uh, them letting Saul down through a window over the wall outside so that, uh, so that he could... Uh, uh, so that he could escape. Remember now, this, this, this was three years after his uh, conversion. And so he goes down to Jerusalem. And again, we learn some information from Galatians. We, we learn that his motivation, seemingly, for going to Jerusalem was to meet with Peter. Just why particularly he wanted to meet with Peter, I don't know, but he wanted his, his thought was, I want to see Peter. In fact, uh, uh, Paul tells us in Galatians that while there, he did not see any of the other apostles uh, other than James, the Lord's brother. And of course, James was not one of the original 12 apostles. And of course, he saw Barnabas and, and other brethren because uh, Barnabas, you, you know, was successful in, in swaying their fears and, and eventually they accepted him and took him in. Where the other apostles were at this time and why he did not meet with them, we don't know it. We may get a clue of that a little bit later on this morning when we see about, well, I'll call your attention to that. I'll try to remember to do that when, when we get there. But so, so Paul comes to, or rather Saul comes to Jerusalem. The brethren are afraid of him. They don't want to accept him because they are afraid of him. And Barnabas, Barnabas uh, meets with Saul and, uh, and talks to him and is convinced that this man is genuine and he goes to the brethren and speaks on, on, uh, on Saul's behalf. And they, they become close friends, co-laborers, as we're, we're going to see. Now, again, we learn from Galatians that he stayed only 15 days in, in Jerusalem. Uh, and so after staying only 15 days, and after having seen a vision, he, he was in the temple, we learn in Acts 22, verses 18 and 19. He was in the temple praying uh, during this short period of time in Jerusalem, and the Lord appeared to him in a vision and told him to get away, to leave, because the people are not going to accept your preaching here. And you remember we've already uh, talked about, I believe, how that Saul kind of argued with him for a minute and said, Lord, but wait a minute, uh, these people know me. I, I'm, I was one of them, and I persecuted. And I guess in his mind he thought that would give, them some, give him some credence with them or something, but... The Lord spoke to him positively again and said, "No, you leave. They'll not. They'll not. They'll not uh, hear you." And so uh, uh, he, uh, uh, he he left. Now he had uh, he, he also not only had this vision, but but he learned of a plot against him by the Hellenists. The Hellenists. Who were they? Hellenists were Greek-speaking uh, Jews. 
they were either proselytes of, uh, of, uh, of um, Greek or foreign parentage, or they were Jews who themselves lived outside of Palestine and who had accepted the, uh, the uh, prevailing Greek culture of the day and also spoke their, the common Greek, Greek language. So they were Greek-speaking Jews of whatever extraction. And so they uh, were plotting to, uh, to kill uh, Saul. And uh, so the brethren uh, took him away from Jerusalem, took him down to, to uh, uh, Caesarea, and from there he caught a ship and sailed to Tarsus in Cilicia. Here again, in Galatians, we learn chapter 1 in verse 21, we learn that he sailed away to Syria and Cilicia. Well, if you look at the map, he would have arrived at Tarsus in Cilicia first, but maybe it's, called, maybe it's mentioned as Syria and Cilicia in Galatians because, well, it's a kind of a geographical phrase and, and maybe the more important place to mention first. But anyway, he sails away to, to his hometown and to work in that, in that area. And at this point, uh, he disappears for a brief period of time from the historical pages of Luke. It doesn't mean, however, that he retires from activity. And again, we can fill in the blanks a little bit that are not provided here by, by Luke. We go back to Galatians chapter 1, um, where Paul says that he went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face to the churches in Judah, uh, Judea who were in Christ, but they heard only that he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once destroyed, and they glorified God. Now, the fact that he journeyed by sea to Tarsus rather than going by land explains why he was not known by face to the churches in Judea. He was only known at Jerusalem. You remember, he came from Damascus to Jerusalem, but nowhere else in that area. And so they didn't know him by face, but they had heard about the word began to spread about uh, what he had done. Now, I want us to um, jump back. Uh, if you've still got your uh, 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 Bible open to chapter 9, let's take a minute here and let's leave Paul for just a minute and, and follow some other things that will help fill in some blanks here. I said a moment ago, um, look at... Um, Okay, look at verse 32. No, verse 31. Verse 30 is the verse we've just talked about. When the brothers learned this, they brought him, Saul, to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Now, the historian turns his attention. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, as 
Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, as Peter went here and there among them all, I said a while ago that I would make some comment on possibly why Saul didn't see any more of the apostles in, in Jerusalem. Perhaps they, like Peter, during this period of time, remember the church following the uh, uh, persecution of Stephen had been scattered abroad. And every, they were going everywhere preaching the word. Churches were being established. So maybe, as Peter does here, maybe the other apostles were going here and there, visiting, working, and encouraging in these areas. But anyway, Peter, uh, uh, as he went here and there, he came down to the saints that were at Luda. And he learns of a man that had been uh, bedridden for eight years, and he was paralyzed, and he heals him. And then, he, uh, and then we're introduced to a, a person whose name is uh, Tabitha, uh, Dor Dorcas, this is Dorcas, uh, who died. And they had uh, uh, actually laid her out and were preparing her for burial. And when word came to them that, that, uh, that uh, Peter was in Luda, uh, this, this city... Uh, if you if you think of, if you look at Jerusalem here and Caesarea here, up on the Mediterranean, uh, uh, Luda was about ten or twelve miles uh, southeast of uh, of Caesarea, and so that's where he healed this man. And then Joppa nearby, or, or uh, I'm sorry, ten or twelve miles southeast of Joppa, when he healed this man, they, the people in uh, Joppa learned that he was there and they sent word for him and you know the story there, how that he raised uh, Tabitha or Dorcas uh, from, the, from the dead and of course this caused a great stir and verse 42 says, and many believed in the Lord and he stayed in Joppa for many days and then you have of course chapter 10, we'll not go into the details of that but Chapter 10, Peter on Pentecost, standing with the apostles, had preached the, the gospel, used the keys, as it were, of the kingdom, opened the door, and on that occasion, many uh, obeyed the gospel, more than 3,000 souls at once, and then the church grew, uh, multiplied after that. But it still remained for the Gentiles to be let into the kingdom, as it were. So you're familiar with Acts chapter 10. While still at Joppa, uh, Peter has this vision. He's told to go down to, uh, uh, to where the uh, uh, Cornelius and his people are. And he goes and, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them as it had fallen upon the uh, apostles on Pentecost. And then in the early verses of chapter 11, Peter goes back to Jerusalem and he's called on the carpet, so to speak, uh, for what he had done. We, we hear that you went in among Gentiles, that you ate with them and so forth. And so Paul, uh, uh, Peter rehearses everything that had happened. The vision he had seen, the command to go, not to call anything coming or unclean that God had claimed to go, and he did, and he preached to them and, and, and baptized them. So now Gentiles are coming into the kingdom uh, as well. 
And um, so let's look here, um, beginning with verse, I believe it's beginning with verse 19. We'll look at verse 18, summarizing the meeting that Peter had there in Jerusalem with the Jewish brethren. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also has God granted repentance that leads to life. Now, verse 19. Now, those who were, what Peter does here, well, let's read it a little bit, and then we'll talk about it. Now, those who were scattered abroad, uh, scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they uh, met with the church and taught great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were called uh, Christians first. Um, so uh, the, uh, the scene shifts now. Uh, and in preparation for this shift uh, in the scene, so to speak, the writer goes all the way back to the persecution that arose following the death of Stephen. You remember he had taken occasion after Stephen's stoning in chapter 7 of Acts. And then he tells us in the first few verses of chapter 8 that, that the Disciples were scattered abroad whenever we're preaching. He takes the occasion there to first uh, talk about Philip and his ministry. I wrote, he met, uh, you remember, went down and preached to Simon and then he, the Ethiopian eunuch. And then in chapter 9, he talks about Saul and his uh, going to Damascus and, and the Lord appearing to him on the road. So here... In chapter uh, 11, beginning at verse 19, he goes all the way back now to P Stephen's persecution, kind of connecting the dots, and, uh, and, he, and he tells about uh, how that some of those people who were scattered abroad from Jerusalem went to Phoenicia, um, Cyprus, and even up to Antioch in Syria. And uh, they preached up there, and a great number of people uh, uh, believed on the Lord and, uh, and was baptized. And uh, so the work was really growing inside. And news of this came unto the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they decided that they would send Barnabas uh, to encourage and to help in that work. 
And while Barnabas was there working, he evidently felt the need for a helper. And not just any helper, but evidently he, he, he still had, a, had in his mind the, the memory of the time that he spent with this persecutor, now turned Christian, this Saul of Tarsus, whom he had introduced to the church there in Jerusalem and helped them uh, get to a point to where they could accept him. And so needing some help, he longs, as it seems, for the companionship and the help of this man. So he personally goes to Tarsus, finds Saul, and brings him back to Antioch. And the scripture tells us that for a whole year, they labored together there in that work. Now, Barnabas was the right man for that job. Um, here's what it says about him. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great multitude were added to the Lord. Um, I want to call attention to this expression, he was a good man. I've always, that's always caught my attention. And I think you'll find this expression a time or two more in the New Testament. You know, we tend to use all kinds of superlatives when we want to talk about someone, and we just pile it on and on. And, and, but what more really needs to be said of one than to say he or she is a good person. Uh, Barnabas was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And uh, a great number of people were added to church as a result of his work there. Um, the reason I think Luke uncharacteristically compliments Barnabas this way is because there needs to be some reason perhaps given for why he was chosen, perhaps above others, that might have been chosen to go and do this work. Well, he was, he was as I said, the right man uh, for, the right, for, the, for the job. You know, uh, when we think about Barnabas thinking of, of Paul, of Saul, and going to get him, it caused me to, to think about this fact. Sometimes the one who, sometimes the, the one who renders a good service benefits as much from that as the one who is the recipient of that service. Have you ever thought about that? I think that's one of the reasons the Lord wants us to be involved in, in good works, to, to serve other people, because not only do we help them, when they need help, but it helps us. It helps us to become to, to, to grow and to become stronger and to have stronger faith. And so that was true of Paul, but he was the right man. Do you remember in chapter 4 of the book of Acts, we learned that Barnabas actually was named Joseph, but that he had been given the name Barnabas by the apostles, and the name Barnabas means what? Son of comfort or consolation. And so there was no one better perhaps to send to this area, to this, this young congregation full of new converts than this man who had a heart for what? Comfort and comfort.
consolation uh, and encouragement. Um, now, taking up again in chapter 11, verse 27, beginning. Now, in these days, um, there came down a prophet from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them uh, named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great famine over all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius. And the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren that dwelt in Jerusalem, which also they did, sending it uh, to the elders by the hands of, uh, of uh, Barnabas and Saul. And so this token of brotherly love was given and gathered and was taken by Paul and Barnabas to, uh, to Jerusalem. This would be now his second visit uh, to Jerusalem since his conversion. Remember the first one, uh, after he left Damascus, he went there and stayed for 15 days, met with Peter and uh, James, the Lord's brother, some of the brethren, and then he left. Now he goes back with Barnabas to carry this contribution that had been given. How the brethren in Antioch, it, the, the, the prophet had indicated that this would be a, a, a quite widespread famine and how they were able to, to, how to, to give to those in Jerusalem, I don't know exactly. Maybe like those about whom Paul talked in one of his Corinthian letters, maybe they even in their poverty gave themselves. I don't know, but somehow or another they were able to gather something together and send it to Jerusalem by the apostles. And, uh, and then looking at verses, uh, and then looking at Acts chapter 12, verses 24 and 25, uh, the word of the Lord grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had uh, fulfilled their ministry, taking with them John, whose surname was Mark. And so, we're introduced to Mark, and we'll learn more about him later. Now, if you will, look at chapter 13, Acts 13. We'll read the first three verses, uh, hopefully before the bell rings. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Um, and of course, Saul was an apostle. And yet he is mentioned here among these prophets and teachers and these others, showing that regardless of what these other ministries were that these people had, in general, they were all ministers of the gospel. You remember we've talked before about 1 Corinthians 12 and about the gifts of the Spirit. And then the Ephesian letter identifies certain gifts that are given, prophets, teachers, and such like. And it's hard for us in this day and age, so far removed from them, to know exactly how to distinguish between them. And I have the feeling that there was some overlapping uh, in, in some of those. But in general, they were all what? Ministers of the gospel. That is, the, the, in general the design of all of their work ministry was to lead people to Christ. And notice verse 2. 
while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. <clears throat> so, uh, the uh, American Standard says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. King James says, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It was just, it, the work was in kind the same work that they were doing there. Much of that congregation in Antioch were, were Gentiles. And, but he wanted to send them abroad, send them away into uh, further uh, reaches uh, of the earth and, and so that more and more could hear the gospel, the gospel preached. Um, so that takes us down now to the, uh, to the uh, uh, beginning of the, the first missionary journey. And next week we'll talk about that and we'll... We'll begin to talk a little bit about the, uh, the various epistles and when they were written and so forth. And uh, generally accepted that 1st and 2nd Thessalonians was, was written in the, during the second missionary journey. And where were, when was Galatians written? We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. These visits uh, to Jerusalem are crucial uh, in that discussion uh, of when the uh, book of Galatians was was written. But we'll talk about that and talk a little bit about the various epistles and the missionary journeys that, uh, that Paul and Barnabas and later Paul and Silas took. Any questions or comments? I've talked this morning and not allowed you to say anything, as I usually don't. I'm sorry, you just have to flag me down. Take a handkerchief and hold it up. See you next week. Yeah. Anybody else need one of these chronologies? Okay. <laughs>